Good morning, church. Oh, man. This time change has kind of made me a little teary-eyed. Kind of emotional a little bit. You guys probably think, man, you are an emotional wreck. I sometimes am. Um, uh, From the day he saved my soul to the very moment that we go home. Oh, my goodness. He cares for us. He truly does care for us. Uh, Well, after a week off from the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, if you will, make your way back over to Matthew chapter 6. And we continue in chapter 6, but also we continue in the teachings of the kingdom ethics, the morals, the principles, the standards that that Jesus has set for us. Um, and I love the fact that he, he set it out for us. He didn't just say, hey, come to me and then figure it out. He says, come to me, and I will teach you all things. He's given us His Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to teach us all things. Even the things that are hard to learn. They're not hard to understand, they're just hard to learn. Uh, We understand them clearly. It's just, some of these things are just hard. So Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19, we'll cover from 19 to 24 this morning. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, let your word speak to us this morning, Lord. God, you know all the things that are swirling around my head and my heart. You know the things that are on my notes. (laughs) Lord, I just want to be able to teach this with clarity and simplicity, understanding. Help me in that. And help my brothers and sisters to have ears to hear as well. In Jesus' name. Hmm. And having, in 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 being, we have been (laughs) dealing with kingdom ethics for quite a while. The Sermon on the Mount is such an amazing portion of Scripture. I was kind of looking back; it's our seventh study that we are in, and I don't know how many more. Studies we will be in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's it, it, we we've been in these ethics, these these standards, these principles, these morals that Jesus has laid out for us as His believers, and so we've been in it for quite a while. 
through the Sermon on the Mount. And I have, I have mentioned it several times, and I'm sure I will continue to mention it as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. And that is that this teaching for the believer, for the Christian, is pretty hardcore. And by hardcore, I, I mean that it's hard-hitting. <laughs> it, it goes against our nature. And I don't know if you've caught that. It goes against every fiber of your being. And when I, when I shared that, maybe the first time, when I mentioned that, maybe you were here when we started through the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm telling you, man, it's going to go against every fiber of your being. It's going to go against your nature. And you sat there going, yeah, right. I could come in here and leave here unfazed, man. And some of you do. Some of you do. And per maybe, perhaps, because you have a good nap while you're here. Maybe. I don't know. I've been known to put people to sleep. And it's okay, as long as I see your face here, somewhat down like this at the top of your head. And maybe that's why you walk out of here unfazed, because again, you walk in the same way you leave, because it really doesn't penetrate your heart. But I would venture to say that if you caught at least half of the study, <laughs> in between the, your little naps there, or, or even caught all of the study, and maybe even taken some notes, I would venture to say that you have been challenged as we've been going through these kingdom ethics. It's penetrated your heart in such a way that it bugs you. <laughs> it bugs you in a way that, that you're going, man, why does he have to touch on those things? And it's like, well, I'm just the messenger. This is a great portion of Scripture. And I think as believers, we should learn and understand the Sermon on the Mount very well even if we don't like it. We need to know what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. But we've been challenged with what Jesus says. Not so much what I say, but what Jesus says in His Word, because it does, it penetrates the heart. And He's talking to you as believer, as Christian. No matter where you're at, if you're a young believer, uh, 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 a young man, basically, in, in believe, or a mature Christian, these things are deep. <laughs> but please understand that Jesus is not sharing the Sermon on the Mount with us. He's not giving us these, these kingdom ethics to bum us out. To put a damper on our life. To bring us down. No, He's doing this to strengthen us. To prepare us. To lift us up in this world that goes contrary to everything that God says we're supposed to do because the world is itching to grab your heart your mind and your soul always jesus is not excusing the outward actions as we've been covering but he's getting deeper in our hearts he's going further than, than maybe you want him to really go He's getting to the heart of the matter and He's dealing with inward intentions. Because you see, as I've shared before, it's so easy for us as we look at other Christians even and even in the world to take the high moral ground and say, how dare they? Huh. 
and you become a prude, a Christian prude, in such a way that you look down on everybody else because you've never done those kinds of things. And yet, when he t- starts talking about the inward intentions of our hearts and what we really think in here and up here, we're no better than anybody else. And so he kind of levels out the playing field all the way around for us as Christians that it would be hard for us to really take the high moral ground, even though he's, he's asking us to go deeper and further in our morality. Don't get me wrong. Because even though we can compare ourselves with everybody else because we don't do certain things, God sees the heart. And He knows where your heart is at. That could be a dangerous thing to do. (laughs) That He would know your heart. Or it's a good thing. That He knows your heart and He still loves you. (laughs) So now that Jesus has talked about so many parts of our life, and how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to respond to things in this world. Those things that challenge every fiber of our being. He decides now, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, to touch on money and possession. Oh, man. Why did he have to go there, right? And I know what you're probably thinking, Zeke, you're going to love this message, right? Giving it out so you can see a squirm as you talk about money and possessions. Yes, I will enjoy this message very well. But understand, again, man, this hits me too. It challenges me as well. Because I think all of us deal with money and possessions. Every one of us. I don't care where you're at in in the ladder of success or non-success. As I was thinking about this and how people can have so much stuff, you know, you look around, and even in the streets here or Victorville, or you can go wherever, and people might not have money, but they have possessions. And they guard those possessions. Even if it's on a shopping cart, that's their possessions. And you don't mess with my shopping cart. Right? And so we all deal with stuff like that. I don't care where you're at economically. Money is not always the issue. It's things that we can buy with our money or get. And so he touches on money. Now the interesting thing, interestingly enough, the Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. Even even though it makes us uncomfortable to talk about money, I know it does sometimes with me up here. You think I enjoy it? Yeah, I do sometimes. But I, it, 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 again, it's something that's in the Word of God and He deals with it often. I find it interesting that 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus shares in the Gospels deal with money and or possessions. One in every seven verses of the New Testament deals with the topic of money and or possessions. There are 500 verses that deal with prayer. Fewer than 500 verses deal with the topic of faith. There are over 2,000 verses that deal with money and possessions. Isn't that crazy? 
there's like 7,900 and some. I counted them. Not like, I did a little different, but 7,000 or so, almost 8,000 verses in the New Testament alone. Now, why would you suppose that, that God is so interested in money? Why do you suppose that is? That he talks a lot about. Well, is it because God loves money? And he's super into it and he wants all your money. <laughs> Maybe that's why. No, I don't think that's the case. I think the case is because we love money. We're super into it. And we want just a little more. We want it and we want it all. As much as we can get it. We chase after it. We desire it. We know what we can get with it. And maybe that's why he talks a lot about money. You see, God loves you. If God loves us, then we love money. And sometimes we love it more than we love Him. And it ends up becoming a problem. Because we end up putting it on the throne of our life. And as much as we don't want to admit that, even me, we do that. We understand that. In other words, we end up taking our eyes off of Him, off of God, and we put it on money we sometimes end up trusting money more than we trust God. And God ends up seeing it as an idol in our life. And that becomes a problem. When money, possessions, things become idols in our lives. An idol is any lesser thing that we end up making into and treating it like the ultimate thing. And lesser things can never ultimately deliver. They can't. And that goes directly against the first two commandments in Exodus 20, verses 4, 5, or 3 and 4, and part of 5, where it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a graven image. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And so in verses 19 to 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and nor rust where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus starts this portion off as He talks about possessions or money, treasures, if you will. He starts off with a negative. But understand this. He does not say... Don't, or, or he does not put a period at the, at the end of treasure. Do not lay up for yourself treasures, period. He doesn't say that. 
The word treasures means a deposit, i.e. wealth, literally or figuratively. You see, Jesus is not against treasure or wealth. But what he is saying is that treasures, that the treasures we put away here on earth won't last and they don't last forever. Everything that's from this earth will stay on this earth and sometimes they will be taken away that quick. They are temporary. Any kind of treasures we have. (laughs) Last year when my mom passed away and we... We started cleaning a lot of her house. Boy, oh boy. I mean, some people would call it junk. My mom called those things treasures. And she saved everything. Everything. But you know what's weird? I have a little drawer at home that I have some treasures in there that are older than some of you guys in here. Because we save things. We can make just about anything a treasure. But none of those things will last. None of those things. He he says this about the treasures on earth. He says, don't lay these treasures up on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In, In ancient days, garments, clothing was very, very special. Most people didn't have walk-in closets. They didn't need them. Except if you were rich and you had many, many changes of clothes. But more often than not, back in those days, people did not have a lot of clothing. Third world countries today, when we go to Uganda, they don't have tons of clothing. They don't have their their 9 by 9 hut and then another 9 by 9 walk-in closet. They don't have those things. They might have... A change for every day, and I mean every day, and then maybe a change for Sunday morning or when they go to something special. But garments, having a ton of garments, a lot of garments, was a sign of wealth. And only the well-to-do, those who were well-off, the rich, had closets, basically. Other than that, Probably had one, maybe two changes of clothes. But you see, the moth, it thrives on garments. And it makes its way into the poorest of the poor and the riches of the riches closets. It'll make its way in. And it loves cloth. It is no respecter of persons. A garment is a garment is a garment to the moth. He doesn't care if it costs you a, a ton or it costs you nothing. The more the merrier when it comes to garments for the moth. And, mo- and then there's rust and decay. Rust and decay will make its way into just about anything that we think will or should last forever in our estimation. Rust really doesn't care how valuable something is or could be in someone's eyes. Rust doesn't care about that. 
And then if those things, the moth and the rust, if those things don't get those things that we treasure here on earth, thieves are always willing to break in and take whatever you might have. (laughs) Your treasure. I don't care what it is. They'll steal just about anything. Whatever you might think is valuable and even the things you don't think that are valuable, but they were yours. A thief. He just wants to get his hands on something so he can make a quick buck off of it. (laughs) Or whatever. But understand, Jesus is not against any of these treasures that are here on the earth. He's not against those things. He is just saying that we shouldn't put all our trust in those things. Because they are truly temporary. And they are very, very vulnerable. (laughs) Everything. Everything you have. Everything I have. Everything that's in this church is vulnerable. To be destroyed one way or another. But he's not saying, hey, don't... Don't lay lay up for yourselves treasures, period. He's not saying that. He's just saying don't do that on earth in such a way that these things are that important to you that if they're taken away from you, everything is, is done in your life. Don't lay those things up for yourself here on earth. He's not... He's not against treasures he says but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven not against those things here here he gives us a positive he starts off with the negatives hey don't lay up treasures here on earth but here's the positive side here's the flip side here's here's what we should be doing lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven Treasures are not bad in and of themselves. They don't know that they're treasures. (laughs) Because it's not the outward actions of treasures. It's all about the inward intentions of treasures. If the heart loves material things and puts earthly gain above heavenly investments, then the result will only be a tragic loss for us when we lose everything or one thing or some things. And that tragic loss happens when we hold on to these things so tightly that there's no way I can let these things go. Because I won't be able to function if I don't have these things in my life. The treasures of earth can be used for God's glory. They really can. Again, he's not against treasures, people. But if we gather material things for ourselves and love them above people, place a higher value on those things than we do on people, We will lose them. One way or another, we will lose them. 
Now, I'm not saying God is bad because He does that. I think He loves us more than you will ever know, more than I will ever know. And He takes certain things out of our life because we value those things more than we have valued people. And we have placed those things on the throne of our hearts and He is not on it. And He's a jealous God. We're just saying about that. He is jealous for you. And when we put something else on the throne, He'll allow things to happen so that He can be back on the throne. When we lose things in our life that we have held on so tightly, and then our hearts are affected because of it towards Him, it's really hard to recover because we've placed so much trust on those things instead of Him. And it is really, really hard to recover. Not impossible, just truly hard. Because we end up blaming Him for the things that, that, that have been taken away from us, whether it was a moth, or whether it was rust, or whether it was a thief. We end up blaming Him, and He's going, well, I told you in My Word that everything is temporary. And yet you put so much value upon those things that now that somebody or something has destroyed it, taken it away, it's hard for you to even have a heart for me right now. Instead of having the spiritual enrichment that comes with maybe the treasures but having the spiritual enrichment because we have laid up treasures in heaven. If we don't have the right perspective of the treasures that we are laying up in heaven, we end up experiencing this, this earthly impoverishment <laughs> when earthly treasures are taken away from us because we held too much value on them. And again, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of little treasures. Even the stupidest little thing that you would say, it's like, hey, they're my treasures. Leave them alone. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with all the first fruit of your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Have a different perspective with the possessions that you have. With the things that you have. The things that you have gained. Have a different perspective. In all that you have, with all that you, you have gained, honor the Lord with all of it. With all of it. What, what, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, it, it can mean. It means that that we are to use all that we have for the glory of God. Every little thing. Because we know how vulnerable it is to be God. So as while I have it, I will use it for the glory of God. However I can. It means that we hold on to everything that we own or possess or we have gained. We, we hold everything with an open hand. This way. 
I, I learned this a, a while back as I was going through a financial thing. You know, we were going through it as a church. That, that if you hold everything, you hold your money with a tight hand, it says, well, you'll keep it, but not more will come in. <laughs> but if you open it with a clear hand, a lot will go out, but a lot more will come in as well. And so if we have a perspective that whatever we own, whichever we, the things that we have, it's like, Lord, I just want to hold it with an open hand because if it, if you take it away or if you give me more, it's all going to be yours regardless. I will use it for your glory. I will have the proper perspective with it and I won't make it my God or my idol. And if it's on our, its way, then it's on its way. And guys, again, it, we all have issues with, with stuff like that. Some people are like, oh, no, I just give everything away. It's like, ah, there's probably certain things that you probably just wouldn't give away. You're probably going, no, man, I'm going you know, pass those things down to our kids and our, things are going, our kids are going, no, we don't want those things. Get rid of them now. No, but I've had this forever. It's like, get rid of it. I, I think the younger generation has no problem with a lot of that stuff. They throw everything away anyway. But take their phone. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was ready to upgrade to a new God. I mean, a new phone. Be careful with that. Hold everything with an open hand. When it comes to the material things, they come and go. It also means measuring life by the true riches of the kingdom and not by the false riches of the world because they take wings and they fly away as Proverbs 3, 23, 5 says. Will you set your eyes on those things, on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. The treasures in heaven are not just the things that pass through the fire and we will receive a reward for those things that survive. Those are not just the treasures that we will have in heaven. Those that, 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 that survive the fire because we've had right motivations or a pure inward intentions because of those things. But I will also add that we could be rich with the spiritual things, with the things of heaven, with the treasures of heaven, when we go to like Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering. Against such there is no law. Uh, th th those are, are, are things that we have received that the Spirit gives to us that can be a treasure for us in our hearts because we are in the kingdom of heaven today. We get to experiencing, experience those things today. Are, are you rich in those kinds of treasures from heaven? You see, moth, rust, and thieves cannot touch those things that are laid up in heaven. Those things that, that God already sees as valuable. Those things can't touch those things. And those, those things can't touch the spiritual things of our hearts. 
It, it cannot take away the love and the peace and the joy and, the, and all those things that we have laid up because of the kingdom of heaven in our lives today. Through faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 3-5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Those are treasures in our lives that we get to experience today. He says, hey, lay up those treasures in heaven. Lay up those things that that, that nothing can destroy, that nothing can, can, can take away from you. You will be rich in these things. Because He gives them to us exceedingly abundantly above all things in our hearts. He could be so rich and have nothing here and be the richest person alive because you have salvation. Because you have those things that nobody can take away. Nothing can snatch away from you. For where your treasure is, He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice the wording that is there. Notice that he didn't say, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. No, it's, it's the other way around. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there. You see, our heart will follow the things that we value and what we treasure. Our heart will follow those things. The treasures don't follow our heart. Our hearts follow those things. If you truly want to know where your treasure is, what sits on the throne of your heart, most often than not, you could say, what? What, what treasure is sitting on the on the throne of your heart right now. What, what, what's on that? That's where your heart will be also. Some, some have said <laughs> that you can know where someone's treasure is by their checkbook ledger. Hmm. You're probably going, checkbook ledger? What are those? You younger, you younger generation. Huh? Where you spend your money, where you spend most of your time. What 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 is on the what what's on the throne there? Earthly treasures will eventually let us down, especially if we hold on to them too tightly. Holding them with a right perspective will not devastate us as easily as holding on to them with a wrong perspective. But heavenly treasures will always pay out dividends. Always. Dividends that will last forever for eternity. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. In verses 22 and 23, it says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is in darkness, how great is that darkness? If the first part of what we've already covered, verses 19, 20, and 21, that we've covered this morning, deal with the heart and how we can be enslaved with treasures, then these two verses here, 20, 22 and 23, have to do with our mind. The eye often is, is used in reference to the mind. It speaks of how we perceive things, how we see, distinguish, and observe those things that are before us. Before our hearts ever go to where the treasure is, our minds have probably already been there before our heart got there. When we talk, or when he talks about our eye being good or bad, in essence, he is talking about generosity and greediness. That's what he's talking about. Generous versus the greedy. And he likens it to light and darkness. Light is always open and free. Whereas darkness is closed and enslaved. Generosity and greediness are much the same way. As we look at life. The idea here is that a good eye can see straight. Clear. It is focused. It is single in the King James if your eye is single. Whereas a bad eye is double visioned, basically. It's blurred. It's distorted and or defective. There are people who can be so blinded by the riches of this world or their desire to be rich that they hurt themselves because they can't see straight anymore. They hurt their families and they hurt others. Yet those who have a right perspective on riches to where it doesn't cloud their view of life and of eternity, they understand how God sees riches. They understand that. You see, those people who have a right perspective, the way God has a perspective on treasures, those people do not treasure their treasures. And they do not let their possessions possess them. They're in control of those things. Oh, it's not that they don't care for the things that they have. They just don't let those things dictate our life and how we feel, and how we act, especially towards God and towards others.
those who see it the way God sees it can see straight. They can see clear. And they are in the light, it says. If therefore, this is a, a crazy portion. If therefore the light that is in you, listen to that. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's only almost an oxymoron, right? That, 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 that there is light and darkness dwelling together. Wait a minute. That's not supposed to happen. If as a believer we know and we understand the heavenly perspectives of, God, of heavenly riches, and yet we get blinded as Christians, as believers, by the things of this world, how tragic is that? It is a sad commentary on the believer. When we get caught up in the things of this world, it is as if they have lost their light. Again, as if. (laughs) And they have been overwhelmed with darkness. He's speaking to the believer. He's not talking to the world here. They're already blinded. They're already in darkness. He is talking to the believer who who is in the light and he says, once again, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great must that darkness be given the fact that Jesus is light? Given the fact that He said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. How great is that darkness? He has told us in His Word to walk in the light as He is in the light. To have His perspective on the things of the world. And if we have those kinds of perspectives that He has, then the darkness cannot overwhelm us. But so often, because we are who we are, we allow the cares of this world or the things of this world or our possessions even to darken our view, our perspective. We can't see straight anymore. He says, man, how, how, how dark is that darkness? The, the warning is that believers can and sometimes do get overwhelmed with the treasures of this world. Because our eyes are not focused on Jesus. And something else is sitting on that throne. Man, that's harsh, huh? You're probably going, when are you going to stop? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10 says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, Understand verse 10 of that that 
reading there is not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The holding on to it, the, the fighting to get it. Money is amoral. It doesn't know it's money. <laughs> you can do good things with it and you can do bad things with it. You could be greedy or you could be generous with money. Possessions are the same thing. How great is that darkness when we as believers hold on to it so tight that it distorts our view. That it's hard for us to walk in the light as He is in the light because money has affected my heart and my mind. (laughs) I can't function in the kindness and the generosity of who God is. Because of that. And verse, tw- verse 24, you know what? We're, we're not even going to touch on it. Man, it, it convicted me so hard. I, I don't even want to convict you with that. <sighs> Let's just close it up. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding, man? I'm, I'm like ready for this one. This is the apex of it. No, really. But listen to what it says. After he has told us all these things, Jesus turns around and he finishes this little portion by saying, no one can serve two masters. You're not the exception. Understand that. He said, no one. I think you're included in that one. I'm included. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. No one can serve God and mammon. Huh. How's that for you this morning? So as we get to this last verse of the morning, we have seen how money and or possessions can enslave the heart and the mind. And this verse focuses on the will, or I could say, the soul of the matter. So we have to determine with this verse which master we will serve. And and, and there is really no middle ground here. Again, you're not the exception going, no, God's okay with me serving two masters. He understands my heart. He really does. Well, I'm here to tell you, there is no middle ground and God's not okay with it. He's he's not okay with it. He didn't put this verse in just to fill up more space. That's why this verse is in here for us as a believer. To say you can't. As much as you try. And believe you me, we've all tried that, haven't we? (laughs) If you haven't, you're lying. There's another issue. We've all tried to balance two masters in our lives. Why? Because we love stuff. We like money. A little bit or a lot of it. Any of it is good. As long as it's green. Or whatever their colors are going to be painting now. Mammon, the word mammon means riches. 
It, it, it is a word that speaks of wealth. Especially the wealth, understand this, that is used in opposition to God. And mammon is the transliteration of the Aramaic word mammon, which means wealth, riches, or earthly goods. In modern translations, it, it is translated money, gold, or material possessions instead of mammon. But mammon personifies the God of riches. And so he says you can't serve the God of the universe that owns it all <laughs> or the God of riches in this world. You can't do it. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have, and Christians fall into that same category, when we get to something like this, where he says, hey, choose. This or that. God or mammon. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we have is that God is a taker. We think that if we really give ourselves over to God, if we really go all in for Him and in Him, that He is going to take everything away from us. Because He is definitely a taker. And so we think that we have to have two masters. One master that takes care of the spiritual side and then the other master who kind of takes care of the financial side. That's probably smarter than God in finances. And knows how to control finances better than what God is saying in His Word. I mean, we would never put it like that. We would never admit that really outwardly that we really do want to have two gods. One that takes care of this side and one that takes care of that side. We, we, we think that we really should guard our own money. Because God wants all my money. And He wants all my possessions. And He will take everything away from me if I even bring up the subject of, God, what do you want to do with my money or my possessions? You know what He's going to say. I want it all. I want it all. I want to take it all. And so what we end up doing, we don't even want to talk to God about our finances sometimes. Unless like we're really hurting and we've really gotten ourselves in a bind, then you're going, pour it on. You're the God of, that owns the, the, the God of, uh, you know, a thousand hills. You have all kinds of cattle. Kill one for me. But when you're like rolling in the dough <laughs> and you have all this money flowing in and you're going, don't say anything. Like if he doesn't know your bank account or what you have underneath your mattress. <laughs> It's like, man, you're hitting everything. It's like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Please understand, God is not a taker. He is not a taker. What does He really need from me, from you? Really? You think He needs your money? God is a giver. God is a giver. He has always been a giver. And He will always be a giver. 
God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He's a giver. He is always a giver. But we have the misconception that if we really trust him with everything, even our bank account, he's going to take it all. And some of you will be thinking, well, he has. It's like, you really think that he's that mean? Maybe he's going, can I just take that off the throne so I can be back on your throne? And you're going, well, that's not fair. It's like, really? If he is that jealous for you, that he would say, no, I don't want anything else on the throne. I want you to worship me. I want you to trust me. I have given it all to you. You will never go hungry. You will never go without. I mean, the Psalms tells us about the, the lion. The lion gets taken care of. The little baby lion, the little squirrels, the little, everything gets take, taken care of. How much more important are you? You are important to him. With or without what you got on this earth. There is a battle for your heart, for your mind, for your soul. Every day. There's a battle for that. And one of two masters will get that. One of these two masters will get your heart, your mind, and your soul. And you know what? We get to determine that. We get to determine who gets our heart, our mind, and our soul. One master is a taker. And he will take everything from you. Because he's all about lying and stealing and destroying. And one master is a giver. They both offer treasures. Only one offers you this life. And the things in it. The other offers you everything. <laughs> this life and the next. We get to choose that. Isn't that amazing? This last verse is an important verse for us as believers. Because I think we all battle this. Every one of us. All the time. As a church, we can battle this <laughs> as a whole. Who are we going to trust in? What are we going to trust in? How are we going to do it? Understand this. God is not a taker. He's a giver. And He will always be a giver. And if you feel that He has taken from you, there's nothing that He has taken that He won't fill it with more than you could ever handle. When the apostle, you know, the disciples said, but haven't we given up all these things for you, God? And He said, you haven't given up a thing that I have not given you more than you will ever need. In this life and in the next. Amen? Father, thank you. Lord, I know that uh, so many things happen in our lives, Lord. And we are <laughs> we are uh, flawed in so many ways. And Lord, we battle what you've just shared with us here. The treasures that we hold on to in this life from the stupidest little thing that we just can't get rid of 
is one of the most important things in our lives, Lord God. And we want to hold on to all of it. And yet, Lord, you encourage us to build up treasures in heaven. Those things that will last forever. That's what you encourage us with, Lord. Lord, you, you, you sold it all. You gave it all to, to go find that, that one precious pearl. <laughs> it was a great price for you. It was a treasure for you. And that it was us. And we're so grateful that you love us, that you care for us. Lord, as we deal with the things of this world, Lord God, everything wants our heart, mind, and soul. Help us, Lord, to choose you. Because you will give it all to us. You will give us what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need. And I thank you for that. And I praise you for that. God, please, go before us right now. Help us as we deal with greediness and generosity. Help us to be more like you, Lord. Lord, so often we just want to take and take and take. Lord, help us to give give you our lives, to give you our hearts, our everything. Thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.